0: Adolf Hitler. He was obsessed by Satan. He, uh, he. Just repeat that again. Adolf Hitler was obsessed by Satan.
1: Yes, he was obsessed by Satan.
2: Welcome to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. Adolf
0: Hitler had an obsession with satanism i always had heard that but never quite knew how serious this crazed leader was on the topic but to explain more about it in a moment is dr gerard for and he has a new book out called faith that makes you think he is my guest coming up Dr. Fershuren is a human biologist, writer, speaker, and consultant working at the interface of science, philosophy, and religion. He has specialized during his long career in human genetics and also earned a doctorate in the philosophy of science, studied and worked at universities in Europe and in the United States in 1994. He moved permanently to the United States and now lives in New Hampshire. I last had him on my show, interviewed him about his fascinating book, A Catholic Scientist Proves God Exists. It was excellent, clear, concise, and a great read. His latest book, Again, is faith that makes you think. And Dr. Jared Fershuren is my guest coming up in a wee moment.
1: Yeah, I think if you don't have belief or faith in God, there are a lot of things that don't make sense
0: in life anymore. And we'll have more from Dr. Jared Fershuren in a moment. In his book, he demonstrates that faith relies on rather than contradicts thinking. The Catholic Church, in fact, teaches that there is a strong relationship between faith and reason. That's what he will discuss in further detail. And this is not a podcast episode for Catholics. It's for for anyone who's interested in learning more or debating or thinking about faith or not thinking about faith and just to have something to Ponder over, and we'll get into more of that in a wee moment. But first, it's time for our latest segment of Future Shock 2.0 with Ira Wolf. Ira Wolf, there's a lot going on in the essential services that drive the American economy among bus drivers and people who do a lot of the daily chores that grease the wheels of the economy, and some shocking revelations recently
2: yeah for sure thanks for having me back uh there's a story that just popped up this week for me and I, i it just unleashed a whole a whole avalanche of kind of research over the past weekend there was a group of visitors from the lehigh valley where i live not too far from new york about 90 miles away uh and they hopped on their their bus uh to for a day of shopping visiting museums meeting up with friends go in the theater, whatever it might be. it's a beautiful fall day and at the end of the day they returned to the port Authority. Um, harsh reality their trips were canceled. Uh, they had the return trips were scheduled at 415 6 15 9 15 and they just weren't going to happen and the, and, the, and the question is why they didn't have any bus drivers. there's no way to take them home huh. so the travers everybody was left stranded and frustrated. Uh, a couple of people found their way about. I, I don't have answers of what would happen to the rest of the people. Uh, well, you know me, John, and like a dog on a bone, when I hear about a labor shortage like that, it led me to do some research and investigation, and, and I found that this was just the tip of the iceberg. So according to a recent American Public Transportation Association survey of 117 transit agencies across the country, so this is the, the SEPTAs and the, and the, the uh, metros and all across all the big cities. reported they have either had to cut service or delay service because of worker shortfalls. So it's not only bus drivers, it's mechanics and everything else. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on an episode uh, about the public sector. So like in the city of Philadelphia, there's 7,000 open jobs. They can't find enough people to even fill their academies for policemen and firemen and paramedics and and, and building inspectors. Uh, More than 9 out of 10 of these public transportation agencies said that they were having difficulty hiring new people, nearly two-thirds struggling to retain them. So, you know, this may not affect a lot of people, especially on other episodes. We talked about the difference between high-income earners and low-income earners. Um, But public transportation is how many low-income workers get to work. It's too expensive to live near the good jobs. With less access and higher costs, it only adds to their their financial burden. And it further cuts back on an employer's ability to access labor. But that's not the end of the crisis because 88% of schools are dealing with bus driver shortages. That's according to Hop Skip Drive. Uh, and why does that matter? Well, sixty-seven percent of schools said they believe there's a direct link between attendance and transportation. Sixty-one percent reported having and having issues with chronic absenteeism, which goes in light with another report that we just had this week that our reading scores and math scores are plummeting. So if kids can't get to school, that's a whole other problem. That's a whole other that's a whole other segment we'll do in the future. But at the beginning of the the pandemic crisis, we heard a lot about essential and non-essential workers. That seems to have slipped off our their- radar. We don't hear about it much anymore. But many essential jobs such as bus drivers help sustain and grow our economy because as lower paying jobs seem to be the ones that are mostly unfilled, we need to get, find a way for people to get there reliably. So here's one more stat that just popped up and, and this fits into this essential worker thing. Childcare. The U.S. today in 2022, fall of 2022, has 10 percent fewer childcare workers than it did than the, at the start of the pandemic. A hundred thousand workers less. But that's not the most telling stat. It seems we are willing to pay dog walk 59 cents more per hour to walk and play with our dogs than we are to take care of our kids so their parents can go to work. I don't even know where to go with that one. Maybe you have an answer. You can help me, John. Um, But we seriously need to reevaluate how we treat and manage our essential workers because the more unfilled jobs we have, the lower quality of life we will all experience really
0: distressing but we have to face up to it the only thing to cheer about maybe is the gdp numbers and the market has been rallying uh, in october so we'll have more from you next week ira wolf and that was Ira Wolf with our latest episode of Future Shock 2.0. More from Ira next week. Ira is a workforce and labor trends expert, TEDx talker, guest speaker at many events, and host of the ever-popular Geek Skeezers and Googleization podcast, Speaking of Podcasts. Tune into Odeon Capital Conversations with Dick Beauvais and Matt Van Alstine of Odeon Capital Group and with yours truly. Episode 40 is up there on Apple, Google, Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcasts. We talk about everything money and markets, travel the globe from America to China and Japan, Europe, look at the Ferrari in The UK markets following the resignation of Prime Minister Trust. That seems like a long time ago now. And we have a new Prime Minister in the UK. We get into that. We get into global debt, inflation, what the Fed is up to, and our global energy crisis, the stock market, the debt market, and much more besides. It's called Odeon Capital Conversations. And you won't want to miss it. Dick Beauvais is Chief Financial Strategist at Odeon Capital Group. And Matt van Alstein is Odeon Co-Founder and Managing Partner. And I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne.
2: We keep digging for the secrets and stories of uncommon and everyday things and interesting people.
0: My guest is Dr. Jared Ferscheren. He is the author of Faith that makes you Think. Dr. Furscheren is a human biologist writer speaker. He has lectured widely and worked in academia and he also earned a doctorate in the philosophy of science came to the United States in nineteen ninety four had him on a previous episode. We were talking about his last book, A Catholic Scientist. Proves God Exists. I'm your host John Aiden Byrne. Dr. Versherman, welcome back to Dig Life. The last time I had you on my show, we talked about your book, A Catholic Scientist Proves God Exists. And I feel this latest faith that makes you think is something in the same mold. Although it has a much different twist, it goes into more depth about uh a lot of topics and it's a fresh and refreshing read um it occurred to me um that maybe the reason you wrote this book is that you'd sort of looked all around you in the united states and the western world and perhaps uh you kind of were looking at the state of the catholic church uh in the world today um and, and it's, by all accounts, you could argue it's in decline, it's in collapse. Would that be one of the motivations for you writing this book, some kind of an imminent collapse in the Catholic Church in the Western
1: world? Yes, I think you said that right, John. I, I try to make it a wide book for people who, have, uh, who were Catholic and have fallen away, or people who have been affected by uh, the very strong... Group of atheists that we have in, uh, especially in the United States and, but also in England who, uh, who write books and are very popular. So in order to fight that, we have to show that faith is not irrational. It is something that you can talk about, that you can prove. I even go that far that you can prove that there is a God. We have to show that to people. For many people think that uh, uh, as a Catholic, you just believe and you don't think. And atheists say, why don't you just think and stop believing? I think it's together. Those two are together. That's why we have uh, in the Catholic Church very strong uh, people who say it's faith and reason. You know, that was already said in the scholastic time, Pope Leo XIII wrote an encyclical about it, John Paul II wrote an encyclical about it, faith and reason. I always like to quote St. Augustine, who, uh, who could not have said it more plainly, believers are also thinkers, in believing they think, and in thinking they believe. And that harmony I would like to show in my book, and basically against atheism, just quickly
0: back on that, your motivations for writing the book. Um, How would you measure, if this is the right word, the collapse in faith within the Catholic Church in the Western world? Do you measure it by the number of people that go to church on Sunday, or at the pews, or is there some other way to rationalise this, or is it what you just... See in your daily encounters what you're reading in the media and just a general sense of, of despair
1: and, uh, nihilism. I, I, I think it's the latter part. It's, uh, I, I don't think it's easy to measure things like that. And besides people say something like in polls, they say not always what they think. They just say what others want to hear. So I, um, uh, I, I think it's important to realize that, uh, there is, some problem with the faith of Catholics. That's a general feeling I have. And when I was teaching, I know I'm semi-retired, but when I was teaching, I could feel and hear among students all these critical remarks. Sometimes that was to tease me, I'm sure, but it was also a matter of fact that they say in faith, can you really think about things there? And I would say, oh, yes. Definitely, definitely, and unfortunately, atheists have taken over, and they have had quite an impact on people. So I uh, I started the book with a chapter on atheism. I distinguished five, six kinds of atheism, and I I think I I showed for each kind that it doesn't make much sense to hold that. But unfortunately, those atheists are very yeah may I say, very determined. St. Thomas Aquinas said it very well. He said, whereas unbelief is in the intellect, the cause of unbelief is in the will. Oh, that's a deep one. Mm. Whereas unbelief is in the intellect, the cause of unbelief is in the will. In other words, I can show with all kinds of arguments that you should believe, but if you are not willing to do that, then we have really a problem. And I think St. Thomas Aquinas was very right on that. Most atheists are not willing to believe there is a God. So you can come up with the best proofs of God's existence. You can come up with science that points to God in many different ways, but they don't want to see it. They don't want Mm -hmm. to accept it. And I cannot change the will. Of course, deep down, that is part of the original sin. You know, the original sin says we have been, from the beginning of humanity, we have been fooled by Satan or whatever you want to call it, the snake or the serpent in paradise. And we have lost the common sense, not only, but also the, uh, the will. We have a, a, a destructed will. And, and that is very hard to change. Uh, so I can reason whatever I want. I can use arguments, whatever I want. I cannot change the will of people. I can only hope that they say this guy, uh, Jerry Versuren, has uh, a good will and is willing to help us and is willing to show us. But are they going to say yes? I hope so, and I pray so.
0: Um, I'm looking at all the books in the background. Are these all books you've written? Wow, a great library. Um, I recommend people to pick them up. Um, You said a lot there, and I'm just going to pick some of it apart, because you get into it in the book about non-believers, atheists, agnostics, and so on, and it's almost like they approach believers, in a sense, with verbal violence, if not physical violence. So I'm sort of wondering where all of that comes from, because believers and people of faith don't reciprocate in that sense, unless, of course, they get Hot under the collar, no pun intended. Um, But you can address that in a moment. But the other thing that occurs to me is that I know personally many people who have no faith. They're agnostics, atheists, non-believers, don't believe in God, or maybe they're searching for God, which really is a separate discussion. And many of them are kind, they're charitable, seemingly happy on the surface, seemingly purpose driven and um they are dedicated family people in many ways dedicated community people other times. So what do you say to them? Why do they need why do they need a faith in God? Is it necessary for them to, to take the next step to have this faith in God?
1: Yeah, I think if you don't have belief or faith in God, there are a lot of things that don't make sense in life anymore. And I can go on on very technical issues. And I always say, if you you don't see uh, that this world is intelligible, and of course it's intelligible, otherwise we have to stop talking about this world, Mm -hmm. but then there must be an intelligent creator. Isn't that true? How could nature be intelligible if it were not created by an intelligent creator? I could even go further. How could there be order? In this world, we know that this world is orderly. Uh, we see the sun come up in the morning. Let's hope it comes up. <laughs> and uh, uh, tomorrow morning, we expect that the sun will come up unless there are clouds. So there is order. How could there be order in the world if there were no order? A creator. And and so I could go on and on and on. But what is even more important that if we cannot assume that there is a God, then Everything is allowed for God is the maker of moral laws. He gave us the Ten Commandments and he gave us other instructions in the Bible. And if we don't follow those instructions, if you are an atheist, you say, so what? So that means that if there is no God, all things are permissible. The famous Russian writer Dostoevsky put it that way, without God, all things are permissible. So without God eternal beyond, there wouldn't be eternal moral laws and we would be mere animals. If there is no God, then we are just animals without a mind or a soul. And if you don't have a mind or a soul, phew, you have become an animal. We are already animals, I know, but uh, we are more than animals. We have a soul, we have a mind, and we have a will. Animals lack all of that. So scientists tell us that morality is a matter of law and order, is a matter of legislation, is a matter of our genes. It's a product of natural selection. Uh, And you could go on and on and on. If there is no God, there is really No morality. That doesn't mean that non-believers can be morally right, but they don't know why they are right or why they should be right. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So they they go by what they have heard from their parents, what they hear in school, hopefully. And uh, so they live their life as if they are pagans, heathens. Uh, Pope Benedict uh, XVI used to say that they have become heathens. Can they be morally right? Of course they can, but they have no idea anymore. I always uh, mention the the famous awful philosopher Nietzsche. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nietzsche used to say, "We we, we live now in caves and we have lost everything, but there are still signs on the wall that remind us of the past. So we are living by the past, according to Nietzsche, because we have no faith anymore. That's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. Uh, to, to give a counter example, the the, the famous French philosopher that um, yeah, he he was an atheist, Sartre, Jean-Paul Sartre, he did he did the opposite. He said there, is, uh, uh, there cannot be any eternal laws if there is no creator. And he believed there was no creator, so he said there cannot be eternal laws. Well, the End of the story is that at the end of his life, he had a big revelation, a, a conversion, or whatever you call it. So when they talk about Jean-Paul Sachter, or all those atheists, they forget that last part. They, they probably think he got senile or whatever, but he was not senile <laughs> at all. So he uh, he just said, I have to change what I always said as a, uh, as a very atheistic philosopher. So he uh, he came back, he said, there must be a God, otherwise we cannot have moral laws. And he changed his attitude. Unfortunately, he died very soon after that. But until the very end, he was very well aware of his surroundings. He was not senile at all. Okay, that's the, the counter story.
0: So with God, we can have moral laws and moral restraint. And I suppose there's less of that in the world today. There's no, there's less restraint. So we see the tendency to do very diabolical things on this planet, wars and rumors of wars. You must get asked this quite often. And if you're not, I'm going to ask you, why is it that uh, our God, our God um, doesn't, make his presence more visibly transparent in our daily lives with more striking signs of his presence um so that when the non-believers and the believers alike sort of move about during the day they says, oh gosh yeah god gave me a sign today and i saw him walking across the streets wonderful i just got to get my act together so people struggle with that
1: yes i i can understand that it's a the Old and New Testament is full of that, that people want to see signs. Why doesn't God show more signs? Because he, uh, he also needs us to show certain things. And if we resist all of that, then he, he can't do that much. But I, I maintain that in spite of what science says, there are miracles. And miracles happen all the time. We see them in places like Lourdes where people go for the healing, God shows himself there. But we also have to realize that God is not a material entity. So we cannot see him the way we see things around us. If you go by the senses, by what you smell, what you hear, what you can see, you cannot discover God. God is not available through the senses, but he is available for what happens in this world. And we interpret that, that it's God's work that is going on. And, and and science, as I said already at the beginning, cannot really live without those assumptions that there is order in this world that this world is intelligible. So we, we, we have to assume that science cannot prove that. Science can prove a lot of things, I know. I will not say anything wrong about I'm a scientist myself, so I have very high esteem about science. But what it cannot prove is its own assumptions. Where do those assumptions come from? From God, that this world is intelligible, that this world has order, that the laws of nature were created by God, that there is design in nature. So there must be an intelligent designer. So if you Close your eyes for that. I go back to what I said earlier. Then you are just closing your mind through your will. You are not willing to see what you are supposed to see. That is why so many people don't see anything in this life anymore than just pagan things, What you can touch, what you can smell, and they go by all of that. Is that an answer to your difficult question?
0: certainly addresses it in a very deep way and it is uh, quite an interesting answer but I will pick up on something you wrote in your book which uh, made an impression it's in the early part uh, your words a thoroughly secularized world is a world without windows or skylights a prison cell all of this will ultimately lead us to the edge of an abyss which is nihilism which we spoke about at the very start claiming that there is no law no authority no rationality no morality and no purpose to life the only thing left is the rock-solid reality of food money sex and material possessions all of which will collapse for us when we die now before you address that you're not a killjoy you're not denying people the fun and joys of life Going to the movies, having entertainment, sports, and all of those wonderful things. But your your thoughts on that? Just take us through it.
1: Did I really say all of that in my book? (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. uh, (laughs) Well, I I certainly didn't write it. (laughs) (laughs) I back it. (laughs) <laughs> completely. It, 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 it was, uh, I think, very, as you said already, it is not against anything that uh, that people do and enjoy. God has given us this world and also everything to enjoy. He created paradise for us. And paradise was good until mm. we demolished what we were given in paradise. Mm. So it's, uh, it is partly our doing. And, you know, we, we, we are... In a way animals if you look at it with biological eyes but we have so much more that has got that god has given us we were made in his image and if we lose that then we are indeed just glorified animals who um, who eat and breed bleed uh, and excrete like animals do
0: mm-hmm. but
1: fortunately we have so much more. We have a soul and a soul comes, as you said already, with rationality. It comes with morality and that we have to believe, cultivate, otherwise we are lost. And so I, uh, I see the good parts of life. We see it all around us, but there are also bad parts. And that is unfortunately part of the, uh, the original sin. I, uh, when I talked about all kind of uh, atheism, I also mentioned a kind that most people do not consider as atheism, that's Satanism. That we are also guided by not only by God but also by Satan, who is a fallen angel, and we are enslaved to Satan. The, the best case that everyone agrees on is probably Adolf Hitler. He was obsessed. By Satan, he, uh, he just repeat that again.
0: Adolf Hitler was obsessed by Satan.
1: Yes, he was obsessed by Satan. He uh, in in his writings he even glorifies Satan sometimes, and mm-hmm. he uh, I I I don't have a, a regular quote on that, but mm-hmm. uh, in my book I explain how he and his people behind him how they were completely impressed by uh, by Satan. He was even and. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have the right word right now. He was, uh, you know, like we have now the new age, mm. you can, can be an, enculturated in mm. certain things. Mm. And Hitler was actually really enculturated to um, Satanism. So he, um, he was a, a pion, or whatever you want to call it in Satan's hands. Mm. And that is a kind of atheism. Yeah. Because he did not acknowledge God. He acknowledged Satan over <clears> God. Throat> and throat> Satan is a fallen angel. He he is not a God. He is an anti-God, if you want to give him that name. So he uh, he, he really did his... I'm, I'm trying to think now of the man who... Um, I, I, I don't have his name right now, but he, he really uh, introduced him to Satanism. And he was sworn in to atheism. and. I I cannot say that about all other kinds of people, but a lot of them were really atheists in that sense. They were Mm -hmm. enforced by satanic people, and that's why they can do so much, because they get also the power of Satan. And Mm -hmm. Satan does have power. He's an angel, Mm -hmm. not a fallen angel. God has power, fortunately, much stronger than Satan, so we don't have to worry eventually. But in the meantime, we have to live with the fact that some people go with Satan instead of going with God. So, Hitler
0: was into Satanism. What about his lieutenants? And the other thing um, to raise is that Hitler, by background, was Catholic, I understand, and many of his lieutenants and colonels and his the high-ranking members of the Gestapo were, were, were Catholics or Christian, at least by culture and and raising...
1: Yeah, some of them were Protestants, but but there were also a few Catholics, yes, that's right. But that doesn't mean they are still Catholics when they were acting. So uh, they gave up their Catholicism, like we see happening around us so many times. People just give up on it. Some get back to it and become converts, but a lot of them give up on their Catholic faith, which is a very sad thing. Very sad thing. So they again, they are listening not to God anymore, but to Satan. The 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 one the, who started the SS, he he was um, he was actually completely involved with. uh Yeah, the, how how do I say that? But let's say with Hinduism. That's mm. probably the the best word to mention. He he had a whole library on Hinduism. So he um, he was definitely. Not a catholic anymore
0: yeah well it would be just suffice it to say that a lot of that group um were into the new age um cults and paganism and rituals and experimentation and into what would be known as relativism in other words anything sort of goes
3: did you receive a call or message that mentioned social security and demanded immediate action Did the caller know your social security number or other personal information and tell you that your social security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your social security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the social security administration. Social security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled, hang up, ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at US taxpayer expense.
0: My guest is Dr. Jared Fersheran. He is the author of Faith That Makes You Think. Dr. Fersheran is a human biologist, writer, speaker. He has lectured widely and worked in academia, and he also earned a doctorate in the philosophy of science. Came to the United States in 1994, had him on a previous episode where Talking about his last book, A Catholic Scientist Proves God Exists. I'm your host John Aiden Byrne. There's a, a section in your book that's going to um, be dissected, read and analyzed and it talks about the role of suffering and that is perhaps uh, the greatest challenge for non-believers and atheists. Why is there so much suffering in in the planet if there's a loving and merciful god
1: if i had the real answer <laughs> i wouldn't be here anymore i think <laughs> it, it is it is unbelievable how important <laughs> that is there is a it, it's a real problem for people why is there evil i'm not talking so much about natural evil you know, like hurricanes and, uh, and and that kind of things. The uh, natural evils are usually a, a result of the, the laws of nature. So mm-hmm. uh, you can see the good parts of it, and sometimes they have bad parts. I, I, I just used a very simple example of gravitation, gravity. Uh, thanks to gravity, we, we don't fall off the earth. That's, that's a good part, I think. Mm. But it also makes happen that something can hit me on my head when it falls down. So that's a good part. But so I I go into natural evil a little bit and I explain that the good parts and the bad part. But the the worst evil is moral evil in what we do. And that is, you you mentioned Hitler already, and he is definitely a case of moral evil. Uh, Where does that come from? There I go again. Paradise. In paradise, Satan lured us into moral evil, that we could self-make our moral laws. And unfortunately, there is not much we can do about that. We can only fight it by doing good, moral good. But moral evil is what others do to us, and unfortunately, what we do to others all the time. So we, uh, we have to find an explanation for that part. And I think that is not so difficult to do. But the other kinds, the natural evil, I, I use a chapter on Job in the Old Testament. And I think Job is a good example of what natural evil can do. He was hit by all kind of natural evils. But I also mention that he was hit by his so-called friends who actually did moral evil to him by saying that he He did something wrong, that he had to change his life. So that was probably the worst evil that could hit him. So what he did at the end of his life, he asked God for an answer instead of his friends. And what did God say? I go a little bit in detail in that in my book, so I won't give that all away. But um, God says to him, where were you when when I made the world? where were you when I did this and I did this? And I say in the book, he was not humiliating Job, but he was saying, do you realize what I did for you when I made this world? I, I, I made it good. But for the Old Testament, uh, Satan is not as real as in the New Testament, but still, th- there was definitely already Satan in the Old Testament. So he, he, uh, he was not putting Job down, But he gave him answers that say, think all I did for you, Job. And then Job says, I talked too soon. I gave answers that I didn't really know. And I I talked for you, but not in your name. And I think that is what I say to most people when they say, why is God doing this to me? Why do I have cancer? Why do I have this? Try to see it in god's perspective which is not easy
0: from chapter seven how evil is suffering your words when we cause moral evil we damage god's creation that is what happened in auschwitz in the Gulag archipelago in southern sudan on ground zero murder genocide and destruction you also then um finish up On a very positive, optimistic note, which is not surprising, considering you call the book um, "Faith That Makes You Think," you would like there to be a happy ending, as all good stories end on a happy note. God's prescription for happiness, and you have one section of it called "Why Ten Words." You may not want to give it away here. You may want people to pick up the book, but take us through it.
1: I will do it very briefly. I thought I, I started the book with atheism. So we, I think I, ha- I had to finish it by showing the opposite of atheism, which is the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words that, uh, that God gave us. It has been claimed many times that those Ten Words uh, can be found basically in, in many cultures, not only in Catholicism or Judaism, it's all over the place. C.S. Lewis. Um, said, there there are 10 words basically for, for everyone. And when you look at them, they are very basic rules for human life. Of course, all under the heading of God. That's why the first commandment is, I am the Lord, your God. Look at what I did for you. You shall have no other gods before me. So if you have other gods before me, then Forget it. Then you are back to your animal existence. So we need more than those rules on itself. They are in a certain context, and the context is God. That's why you should not murder. That's why you should not commit adultery. That's why you should not steal. And I explain in that chapter what all of that means in that context. But that's for the reader to decide.
0: And the reader you had in mind, at least originally, was were falling away Catholics, those who'd lost their Catholic faith, and maybe this is a way to draw them back. It seems to me it has a, it could have a
1: universal appeal. Your book, oh, I, I I hope it does. I hope it it makes people think and think also in a way that they are willing to consider God as a reality, as a real presence. You you can. Again, as I always say, you can prove it with the proofs of God's existence, but you have to finally accept it. And I hope that people, after reading this book and thinking along the lines, that they say, "Yeah, I, I can see now that there is more to faith than just a, a leap of faith. If you just leap of faith, then we are then it's a lost case, for then no one can believe it anymore." And then you can believe whatever you want. The most weird things I, I, I consider extraterrestrial uh, influences, I consider that a little weird. So I don't think that is a religion. But still, if people believe in it, I think that is a weird belief. So uh, And I can show with arguments that it's not realistic. And as I said at the beginning, Catholicism is faith and reason. If something is not reasonable, don't believe it and all religions that are not reasonable, don't believe them. Sorry, that is a strong statement.
0: You live in uh, New Hampshire, it's a beautiful part of America, so I'm sure you're constantly inspired by everything around you and God's creation, and we look forward to more books. The latest one is Faith That Makes You Think. It's accessible, it's lively, and um, I suppose anyone can pick it up. I thought initially when I saw the title, oh my gosh, my eyes would glaze over but uh, you got me you got my attention and i look forward to your next home can you give us any information people want to order this the publisher is do i pronounce this right n n
1: roos where can they get the book um, you you can get the book at uh, amazon i think that is the best thing to say yeah um, don't don't look for my name for it's a horrible name for oh the, no it's uh, a wonderful
0: for, i think it's a dutch name
1: it's Dutch, yeah. Because really you are Dutch. originally from Holland. Yes, correct. But it's not a name that people will misspell in a different ways. So I would just, when you are in Amazon at Amazon, I would say, "Faith that makes you think." There is no other book that has that title, and you will get to it. I think that's the best thing to say. And uh, if you want to do my name, okay, V E R S C H U U R E. And, who? She's. I don't if they think can't anyone. can spell
0: that. They can just blame me. That's it. I will take all the rap for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dr. Gerard, thank you for being on my show. Take care.
1: Thank you, John, for your great interview. You <laughs> have a good day.
2: You are listening to Dig Life Deep with John Aiden Byrne. You can reach the host in the U.S. at 973-529-4699. That's 973-529-4699. 973-529-4699. Email com. at gmail.com. That's burndesk B-Y-R-N-E, desk at gmail.com. Burndesk at gmail.com Subscribe for free.